Hi, I'm Gina Birch and this is the Green Man Podcast. You're listening to the Green Man Podcast. Grando our podcast at Dean Gwerth Chrysler. Hello, Green Man Podcast. I'm Eve Wilder. Hello, Eve Wilder. How are you doing? You look I'm very, very lovely with your jeweled face. Thank you. They've kind of fallen off, though. I've been giving them out to all the little toddlers here. Very nice. My name's Gina Birch, and I'm uh, going to chat with Eve's Wilder. Wilder than wild. Are you very <laughs> wild? It's been said, but, you know, this festival, I've been trying to take it easy right. because we've been doing a run for, like, the last two months, and my body is my body is really catching up with me I think it's funny because uh, we drove down to Cardiff yesterday yeah and uh, I went to stay with my school friend Louise yeah and we got into an enormous amount of uh, hoo-ha when we really? were when we were like 15 16 17 18 and uh, we were reminding each other of the recklessness of our lives <laughs> and uh, you know now I'm an old woman uh, you know we both laugh at our recklessness and uh, <laughs> can't believe how crazy we were I, I bet you uh, haven't done half the crazy things we did but really? I'm sure you've done different types of crazy things what kind of crazy things did you do oh you know jumping into trucks in Spain hitchhiking <laughs> with drunk men and you know uh, oh uh, hanging out with all sorts of awful druggy people and <laughs> going to Morocco and you know uh, like madness that, uh, um, that sounds great I have nearly I've gone into a few cars that I definitely shouldn't have and we've had to kind of open the doors real quick and like jump out the jump side out, yeah. yeah yeah one time I had to do I'd just taken um I went for a swim in Hampstead Ponds and it was like 11 p.m. And I was still holding the life ring, like it was still around me. And we had to jump out the car with it on and it got stuck in the door. Oh no. Right? <laughs> yeah. You didn't have one of those, what was the woman who got uh, caught with her scarf in the car, uh, the dancer? Um, Ooh. You know. No, who did that happen to? Isadora Duncan? Maybe. Well, yeah. that'll know. Lucky Escape. Know. Yeah, they're here. They came kind of just they came for our set yesterday which was really sweet was it raining or were you okay it was raining but i didn't i didn't really care i was just happy to be here (laughs) it's nice yeah yours was nice you had really nice weather not that it mattered because you're in a tent yeah but it was lovely um is this your first festival have you played others no we've this is our fifth i think we've our first we did glastonbury a few months ago and that was insane someone dropped out of the other stage um uh, we did our set and BBC introducing and then the next morning we all woke up like still drunk and we heard that in an hour we could have a slot because somebody dropped out so we just kind of grabbed all our stuff and we ran down we didn't have any of our gear we had to use Queens of the Stone Ages stuff yeah. <laughs> and it was so much fun have you done Glastonbury? No, never. No, you haven't. I'm no. so surprised. No, no. I mean, basically, the raincoats, we, we didn't really play all that many shows in our yeah. early days. Basically, because we were very experimental. Yeah. And we always pushed ourselves beyond our capabilities anyway. Yeah. So, to, to a lot of ears, we were just a bit too weird. <laughs> and... Um, you know, uh, that wasn't thought to be a great thing then. But now, you know, we're a bit more heralded as being kind of groundbreaking. But, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're cracking that ground, yeah. <laughs> people aren't very nice, you know. Uh, a lot of people find it rather annoying or whatever. And so, yeah, we didn't get a lot of um, 
we didn't get a lot of offers then. And then, you know, Kurt Cobain said he liked us and all mm. that happened later. And now we've become kind of cultural icons, which uh, is all a bit surprising to us, really. But, you know, on the other hand, we did crack a bit of ground. You definitely did. Yeah. You can hear, like, a lot of influence, I think, especially in the kind of artists that play here. I think you've got probably a lot of fans that are on this lineup. Yeah. I was reading um, Viv Albertine's book is like my favourite book ever. And you're very, you're featured very heavily in it. Have you oh, read a it? A little bit, yeah. And uh, apparently you guys formed after watching The Slits. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Now, for me, it was, it, The Slits were an enormous uh, inspiration. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I'd, I'd just come to London in, in uh, uh, September 76 to go to art school. Yeah. And I'd, weirdly, I chanced upon the Sex Pistols first gig when I was looking round you art were at schools. That gig. I was at that gig. Prior to that, when I was on foundation, I came to London with my mate Alex, yeah. who ended up making clothes for the Clash. But Sick. so we came down to London together um, in that September, and we were we knew about punk. And so we went to everything, you know, and yeah. we loved the Buzzcocks and Subway Sect and The Clash yeah. and the Sex Pistols and all those bands. Um, and, you know, I, I, I'd seen Susie Sue perform at, yeah. the, at the Roxy, but she was a singer in a band with blokes, you yeah. know. So it wasn't, like, revolutionary to me. Whereas when I went to see The Slits play, and Palmolive was my big friend. Yeah. There she was playing this drums and she was like, she, she just looked like she, she was, she looked ecstatic. Mm. And there was Ari in her Mac just kind of stomping around and Ari and Palmolive would have a fight and Tessa was playing glorious bass and Kate Corris at that time was, was on guitar. Mm. And they sang these songs and they were about shoplifting, yeah. doing a runner and they were, they were about all these things that they weren't about laying over someone's big brass bed or, you know, yeah. being 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 the subject of some yeah. male fantasy or whatever. They were they were about the the girl as protagonist, you know. And they were riotous and they were funny and they were I just knew then that I had permission to do it too. Cause I so wished I was in that band, of course, but I I wasn't gonna be. Yeah. Um I couldn't play the bass or guitar or anything. I had no, uh, you know. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, shortly afterwards I, I, I kind of had a few beers and ran into a shop in, in uh, Charing Cross Road and I said, uh, what's your cheapest bass? And they said, 30 pounds. And I said, I'll take it. So you want to try it out? And I was like, no. <laughs> and I just grabbed it and paid for it and ran because I had no idea how to play it. But shortly after, you know, and and and, and then uh, Richard Dudansky, who was playing with Time and Dog at the time, was yeah. said, "Oh, we're playing at the Tabernacle. Will 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 your band play with us?" And I was like, "I don't know. I, I don't know how to." Play. Um, so very shortly after so having, cool. we were, we played our first gig. So it was all mad. That's so cool. That's the way it is, though. That's like I feel the same way about them, even though I was born later than them. But the first time I heard them and I read Viv's book, I felt like I had permission to do so much stuff as well. I couldn't play guitar. And then when she was talking about the fact that she couldn't, but she just didn't care. And she, she was talking about like, because she didn't have any templates for what like a female artist or guitarist would sound like. 
she just wanted to make up what she thinks a female would sound like on guitar and that's why she did all those kind of screechy notes yeah, and stuff. she does those scratchy things yeah. and slidey things and yeah it's really nice I mean uh, uh, I think she did really find her own style on, on the guitar and I yeah. think that was really cool because you know I mean I think the early the early Peel sessions it's a bit more kind of um, uh, dense yeah but by the time they did cut it's it's quite yeah. spacious and yeah. so there's there's room for those uh, uh guitar things to really kind of have their own space you mm. know there's 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 actually space around the sounds i was like yeah a bit of space around the sound <laughs> um, and i think yeah i think her guitar playing on that that is really good she definitely um found something of her own definitely it does piss me off how much like the raincoats and the slits and all these bands get written out of like if you're reading about it or even in school i went to music school where you do like pop history lessons and about like a few months in i realized they had not taught us about one woman at all like even when it came to punk which is like so heavily dominated and then they'd, so they'd start bringing in the stranglers and bands that really weren't punk at all they no. just kind of joined the punk bandwagon to to kind you know they were already playing if if if, if another movement had happened they would have been <laughs> called that you know and i think the true punks a lot of the true punks were were female yeah. and and uh, it's very it's very short-sighted of the um history history makers yeah the gatekeepers <laughs> who are these gatekeepers <laughs> are they mostly men mm, i wonder coincidence. <laughs> uh, um, so it's 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 really important that um you know that women tell their stories too mm. and it was it was quite funny because I, I viv got a lot of publicity for this but i was actually at the very opening of the um uh, british library exhibition really and i was quite furious because <laughs> the way that it had been timed was that a lot of the women hadn't released their music yet right so they were kind of not really present in this 30 years of punk or 40 years i can't remember how many decades of punk they were celebrating but the women were quite absent and it felt really really um upsetting that um they could have they could have found the dates that they did and left the women out it felt very <laughs> short-sighted and uh, uh, Viv went and scrawled on the wall. She wrote on the wall, where are the women or something? I just yelled at everybody at the opening and uh, everyone was kind of going, who is that mad woman probably, you know? <laughs> no, that is insane. The British bloody library. It was a whole kind of celebration of punk, yeah. Mm. But the women weren't there. And, and, and partly because the women were just kind of finding, finding their feet, although we were there playing the gigs and da-da-da, we hadn't necessarily released the records yet. yeah and i suppose the british library is very kind of product oriented because ev every record and magazine and so on and so forth is kept in the um, archive yeah. at the british library but they just managed to choose dates that that chopped off before we got our <laughs> stuff out i honestly don't think it was malicious but it was very short-sighted yeah that's so stupid because if they did any research so they were doing zines as well so what were they talking about like riot girl well, yeah, that I think this was just a celebration of that particular I era uh, 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 up to 77 or something, yeah. I think. 
and uh, yeah the music didn't come out till 78 or possibly 79 you know so the slits and the raincoats post-punk you know and I mean the slits peel session is definitely punk and they were on the white riot tour for god's yeah. sake um that tour sounds insane but the, but the al- their album cut becomes more post-punk you know and, and, our, yeah. and our kind of raincoats album in a way I think it straddles punk and post-punk it's yeah. kind of got it's got both in there oddy shape our second album it's definitely post-punk yeah it's the weirdest thing you ever heard <laughs> do you feel like you um when you listen to some bands do you feel like you get a sense that some of them are raincoats fans because i definitely do you know, I honestly don't know. If I listen to things, I like it or I don't like it. Yeah. I, 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 I tend not to think, oh, that's like, <laughs> that's like us. Because <laughs> I think every, you know, everyone has their own, they have their own timbre in their voice. They have their own way of playing a bass mm. or a guitar or a drum. I mean, and when you listen to Mo Tucker playing her drums, you know, you just, it's just such a beautiful thing. And, um, and then you listen. You listen to all sorts of different people. I mean, listen, Ringo Starr, whatever. You mm. get these. You get these very idiosyncratic mm. sounds. And and I think all power to to everybody to do their own thing. You know. And I I'm happy to be an inspiration to try and be yourself. Mm. I think everyone should try and dig dig into themselves to say, I'm going to try and do this. I mean, obviously, we all like we all get inspired by other people. I.e., we, we all copy certain aspects of other people. You oh, know. totally! I just always say, if you steal things from more than one person, then it's fine because yeah. you made something new. But I mean, who hasn't tried to sing like Billie Holiday or oh, Arthur yeah. Kitt or you know Dusty Springfield or whoever or or the woman from Beth Gibbon or you know yeah. all those people you were. I don't know why, but <laughs> I'm feeling so sad. <laughs> so who are you? Who are you copying? Is there anyone that you were looking to when you started playing? Oh, well, you know when I I, I sang um, "Adventures Close to Home." Yeah, and that was Palmolive's song, and she still had that in the raincoat. Oh, in the in the slits. Yeah, sorry, pardon me. And so when I sang it, I tried to sing it with a German accent. <laughs> Even though Tessa was singing it, not Harry, <laughs> but I was going, Passion Nachos and Red with Anger. Uh, I was like, I was like, I think this needs a German accent, like Harry. <laughs> but anyway. That, I would love to hear that so yeah. much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I would I would try and, uh, you know, I, I did try and sing like Eartha Kit for a while. Mm. Um, and you know, I have copied Billy Holiday just on a cassette at home. You know, yeah. I've learned how to yodel. And what about no you? Way. Who, who would you? Who who <laughs> do you try and copy? Loads of people, um, <laughs> all the time. I love um, my bloody Valentine. In oh, my yes. guitar tones, I'm always trying to copy them. And the producer Andy that I've been working with recently, he actually was on Loveless. So I've basically just been trying to get him to give me all the shoegaze secrets. Um, what else Courtney Love I love how brave her lyrics are like I like that she doesn't always try and be come across as likable because I think that's quite like a female thing and I find it quite hard to to not care about what other people will think of me so I copy her all the time I love um I love Lush like I love how 
ethereal their vocals are. The Beatles are my favourite though, because I learned by just like... What, what's your favourite? The Beatles. Oh yeah. Because I learned by just going through their songbooks and teaching myself. Um, so I'm always... I, I, I kind of um, think of like a scrapbook, like if you take enough clippings and stuff, you make like something new. Yeah. which I enjoy doing it's a lot. It's a recipe, isn't it? Or, yeah. you know, you make your own recipe from... Uh, don't worry about copying the um, the ounces. Yeah. <laughs> Just <laughs> put in the ladles of yeah. what you fancy and, uh, and it comes out as you wish. Exactly. A bit of baking soda. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's lots of fun. Let's see what happens. So who have you been listening to recently? Oh... So I've listened to a song called uh, I Stole Your Jumper. Oh, yeah. And then what I've listened to another song called Are You Diagnosed? Yeah. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not anymore, thankfully. I'm not anymore. You know, I, my, my, my daughter's convinced I've got ADHD. And really? I, I probably have, but, you know, I haven't been diagnosed. But, you know, the whole diagnosis thing is more uh, um, current these days, isn't it? But I thought it's a brilliant title for a song. Thank you. Know? you. I wish I'd written that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. you That's diagnosed? such a compliment. <laughs> I, I've written a song called I'm an Artist, which is about the kind of humour and the kind of madness of being an artist that trying to be title. creative you know <laughs> so uh you know you can be jealous of that one please i am jealous of that oh, one good, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> eve's wilder so nice to chat to you you're fantastic and thank you i love the way you look i love the way you sound <laughs> and i love the, your song titles oh, thank you so much i am obsessed with you gina birch and i loved watching you today you. giving me lots of inspiration Good, good, thank you. That thank was fun. You. I really enjoyed playing here, actually. I've had such a blast being here at Green Man, and thank you for having me to play. I hope I come back next year. I'm Eve Wilder. This is the Green Man podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm Jason Solomons, the curator and host of the Synodrome. I've just got off stage here at Green Man. Really excellent piece of programming, I might say. I'm really proud to be able to bring a documentary called Dragon on My Shirt, examining the experiences of black and Asian footballers who've uh, represented Wales over the years. Uh, and I was even more delighted to be able to bring on stage a Welsh icon, defending legend, Wolves and Wales defender, George Berry. And he joins me now. George, how was that experience at Green Man? It was fantastic. It was nerve-wracking but fantastic <laughs> not as nerve-wracking as walking out at Wembley in the League Cup final funny enough it was more nerve-wracking <laughs> actually because it, I don't the story is great and it's only since I retired that actually what I was doing was actually inspiring people so you know that was a, like a burden on my shoulders mm. so um, that was a great it was great. We, we just spoke on stage, George, about, I suppose, dealing with, with race as a, as a, almost as a, that was used against you as a weapon, the racial abuse that you received. I thought it was very moving the way you spoke about how you coped with that. Is that something ongoing, even now that you're talking to me about it and discussing it in the documentaries? Is it something that you, you're sort of grappling with still and realising how difficult it was? Well, <laughs> the positivity is still there. So I like positivity around me, people around me that are positive and not negative. And all through my life, especially uh, with the racism, I've had to turn around that negativity and uh, turn it into positive. And it's funny because now that I've... When I was younger, I was always um, more the Malcolm X of life. 
you know, I'd front people and call them out. And if you want to fight, I'll fight, that kind of thing. But as I've got older and wiser, I'm more Martin Luther King. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's uh, a huge amount of dignity, I must say. And uh, I, I don't think I ever realised, even though I watched you play and a lot of the, uh, the, the black players of your generation, I, I don't think I realised until you start talking about it now, how how difficult it must have been and how that must have affected the way you play. And you say you you sort of channeled that into making you a better player. It's quite interesting to me. Yes, because it's all about mindset. When you do anything in life, it's all about your mindset for that task you've got to do. When I was playing football, the big task was sorting out in my head and my mind that racism is going to happen regardless. So you have to cope with it. And when I was younger, I wanted to fight everybody. So, so then I look and say, right, if I'm doing well and playing well, they're going to really get on top of me more and more and more. Every time I touch the ball, everything. So I thought, I want them to be really, really chanting. And then I'll be happy. Because in my mind, if they're chanting, the more loud and raw and horrible they were, the better I was playing. I, that is amazing, but you did play very well. So the, 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 the terrible thing is you got terrible abuse, but you became a really good defender. <laughs> You're wearing a fantastic top today. The dragon is on your shirt in this uh, sort of uh, vintage Welsh tracksuit. That is that is the of your era uh, yes. tracksuit. 19, what 70? Yeah. When were your caps from Wales? 79 to 83. Yeah. And let me tell you, this is fantastic. I loved it. You're wearing it in the documentary, you're wearing it now. I think I don't think you take it off. Well, I'm in Wales, you guys. I'm representing. <laughs> and one of the beautiful things in life is that if you've done something, especially as a sportsman, you can never take it away from you. So the fact that I played for Wales is different than making your debuts at a football club because then you're just representing the fans when you play for your country, you're representing the nation. And that is an unbelievable burden because there are thousands that would cut off their right hand to be wearing the shirt I'm wearing, which is a national shirt for Wales. Uh, you can add to your list of achievements now, movie star. You've been on the big screen at the Cinedrome at Green Man, George Berry. Wow. the Green Man Podcast. Hi, I'm Astrid. Hi, I'm Jasmine. Hi, I'm Samson. Hi, I'm Kai. Hi, I'm Shell. We're here with the directors of Frogs in Bogs. Would you like to introduce yourselves? My name's Joelle. My name is Ellen. My name's Poppy. And my name's Ellen. And we're Frogs in Bogs. Frogs in Bogs! Why did you do the show? Why is a very good question. Um... Well, I don't know, Ellen, why, why why, did you write this show, beautiful show? I think um, following the pandemic, we wanted something that was fun, uplifting. I mean, the show is very silly, lots of dancing, lots of fun, children get involved, parents dance along, and, yeah, just wanting to bring a little bit of joy after quite a difficult time. And also, I think, making work for young people is really important because I don't think enough of it is made. Um, and there is a tendency for children's work to be a little bit twee. So 
by working with HMS Morris, who are quite a, a cool band. We've got a great cast. You know, it's it's sort of a little bit more contemporary and a bit more. I don't want to use the word edgy, but why yeah, why not throw it in there? But yeah, I agree with what Ellen said about kids shows and I don't think they're made enough and I think all of them are made in a kind of similar way that there kind of has to be a lesson at the end of it just because it's for children but I think the way that we're doing it is really good because kids and families can come and actually have fun and like dance and laugh at the jokes we're making and literally have fun but also there is a you know a message and a lesson in there. They, they are superhero frogs that save the world from catastrophic climate crisis by uh, defeating the evil Quacktibach. But it doesn't have to be all about the message, if that makes sense. I've really enjoyed getting to do a show that is just fun for the sake of being fun. And I think a lot of theatre and a lot of art is very solemn in the sense that I feel like that is the only way that art is taken seriously. But I've really come to fall in love with this show just because it really just sort of embraces being fun and I think that is so important and I'm really enjoying getting to connect with audiences and um, see little kids in the front sort of gain a little bit of confidence during the show. That's something that really warms my heart and seeing kids that don't really interact with things like this usually sort of give in. I found that really sort of fulfilling, but it's also, I don't know, it's really nice. I live in London. So getting to come back into Wales and do a show in Welsh and have my family come to the show and have my nephews who don't obviously never get to see anything that I'm doing actually see something I'm doing for once all of it is really really lovely it's a great time I'm having a great time um so is this your first green man yes sorry (laughs) (laughs) why yes yes Yes. Uh, do you know what I love it I love this festival I haven't been to a festival for about eight years but now I'm back in you got me. You got me, green man. I love you. It's just like a really big safe space, which I really enjoy. And I really enjoy it feels like a place where I can just sort of be myself and dress how I want. And no one really cares because everyone around me is actually dressed the same way for once, which is, yeah, which is nice. It's refreshing. What is like the, the goal of the shows that you put on and how do you achieve it? The goal is always to have fun. You know, it, it, it's... Um, it is a silly show, it's a lot of fun. There's, you know, a lot of interactivity. The music is banging. You know, HMS Morris, look them up, they're fantastic. And if there's a message, you know, that, that we can get in there, you know, then all the better for it. Um, but yeah, the, the ultimate goal is to entertain, which I, I think is what theatre should do. And I think it's going back to what Joelle said. You know, there is, there is this feeling that art has to be very serious all the time and you know explore big issues and there's definitely room for that and that is really important but I think you know yeah it, it should be entertaining and, and it should be fun and, and that should be equally as valid. As a Welsh speaker myself I get the challenges so what is it like to produce a show in two languages? Uh, I don't know about because me Joelle and Ellen I'm speaking on not on your behalf but we normally speak Welsh every day so it's nice for us to be able to do a show in our first language. Um, It's an interesting one because I feel like when you do a show in Welsh and one in English, they feel different to each other, even though obviously it's it's the same show, but um, it's interesting to see like the different energy that Welsh brings or English brings. 
I think something um, that was quite tricky during sort of the rehearsal process was because Ellen wrote the show, but Ellen's from Cardiff, but I'm from Pukeli, and <laughs> Ellen is from Charles Venith, and the way the three of us speak Welsh is entirely different just because the dialect literally, at least in North Wales, you can drive down the road and people say words I've never heard before in my life. So getting, like, we'd be reading the script and Ellen, I'd be like, Ellen, what on earth does this mean? And she'd go, oh, it's this. And I'd go, oh, I've never heard that before. And it was a lot of things, like quite a lot of words, they really, like, would not come out of my mouth in a way that sounded, like, natural. And that's not really something I've ever come across while performing anything in English. So it took a lot of, sort of, Frankensteining, sort of jigging and poking the script to get it to come out of my mouth in a way that sort of made sense, which is which has been really interesting. Just going to say, it, it was really important for us as a, as a theatre company to, to make work in the Welsh language, because obviously, yes, my first language. Um, and, and the process of writing in Welsh and bilingually has been really interesting. So there is no English version only of the show. It's a Welsh show and a bilingual version. And yeah, it, it, it's finding the in-jokes and the puns that are going to work with the Welsh-speaking audience and a bilingual audience and that's been fun you know so there's there's sort of references that work in one show but maybe don't work in the other so finding and discovering all those things has been really really interesting and what's really lovely is the audience reaction to the show and actually we've had families come to the show twice you know and said oh we've, we've learned some new words so we wanted to come back and and use the words so i think that's really lovely and hearing parents who don't speak welsh but bringing their children who do speak Welsh to the show and feeling that that's an important thing. So, yeah, it's been really, really great. And it's been great here as well. There's, you know, there's lots of Welsh on, on the site, which is, which is lovely. Yeah, it's, it's a really fun show for me because I'm learning Welsh. So when we were in the rehearsal process, I was trying to find the rhythm and try and understand like what was what was happening in the other script, even though I knew because they're the same show. So my character usually is just, just doesn't talk; it's just very physical with puppetry. Um, so it, it was it was funny to kind of get into the flow of that for me. Um, but now I feel like my Welsh has gotten better from doing the show, which is really cool. Vinyl pop OTD need a show line. Questions are. Um, well, Senad, good as Chachbilod, Nathan, before Mary, just three meal a bobble. But then in Tabio, funny, but then in Grave, Mila Hanner, Osnad and Voy. Yeah, Danny Dical, um, Niver Roy, really, that Drost with Nosaduta. Yeah, Danny just, my lovely world actually, at Danny Gobithio. And a performiata ola mawan, neither Gariam line, eat dove, a goni voyo. Oh, Papa, do you watch any? Yeah. Do you can see Um, Yes, yeah, so, such so a theme really for the Govry, just because my lot of performiata than he needs, done with him and Rupert Timprin talking, he drove in the Idodi well to show it. So, man, either, unless then he stop hip hops and do my own a covering or one by one and gan or show it, does a theme really far on lot, essentially, man, a lot of Apple Dodd, especially our Gover Green Man. Man, I loads of Apple Dodd, to be fair, I'm at the really lots of oil. Are you here? So, Poissy, where do you want to Hoff can oh. hate Green man, obviously. Green man did Gora erioid. Oh my gosh, my power by my more nice. I'm more cool. Nah, genuine, actually. My plants and green man did Gora really. I've been testing. Oh, well, there we are. Green man.
ja, green man ddoi yn y tent oedd y gora da ni wedi cael... Ni wedi cymryd y mic. Ja, green man ddoi oedd yn amazing. A heddiw, obviously. Beth yw dy hoff ran yn y sioe a pam? Dy hoff ran i yn y sioe, mae gyda ni pysgodyn sydd wedi mynd lawr y tu bach a wedi bod yn cadw'r afon yn lan. Ond nawr mae gyda hi problemau treulio drian bach. A mae rai sy'r gynulleidfa ddawnsio y toxic wiggle i helpu ddi dreulio'n gywir. A chi angen dod y sioe i weld beth sy'n dod allan o pysgodyn drian. Ie, neu gyn ei wedi am hwnna. Ond ie, mae'r toxic wiggle mae hwnna'n gan a hanner. Tewn. Mae hwnna'n rili yn tewn. There's loads of farts. Um, and poo jokes, and there's a lot of fart noises, and I like to laugh at farts. And I like. So that's my fit. I laugh. At, I I like to laugh at the children who like to laugh at the farts. I've always found if the kids don't laugh at the farts, then I'm like, okay, they're not going to laugh at anything. We've lost them. Thank you for coming here. By the way, it's been really great meeting you, and really great asking you questions and having answers and finding a lot more about the show. Thank you for having us. Diolch yn fawr iawn, mae wedi bod yn grit. Diolch yn fawr, Kids Cast. Diolch, Kids Cast. Diolch yn fawr, I love you, Kids Cast. You're listening to the Green Man Podcast. <laughs>